0: Welcome to Off the Cuff with Congressman Jared Huffman. As a representative for California's 2nd Congressional District, Off the Cuff is my opportunity to talk with you about important issues and to introduce you to interesting people from the 2nd District and beyond. It's unfiltered, it's direct, and it's honest. It's Off the Cuff with me, Congressman Jared Huffman. to Off the Cuff, my podcast, but uh, this time we're doing something different. We're going to do a spontaneous production on Facebook Live uh, so we can introduce even more people to our podcast. And we're going to have a great conversation, a timely one, uh, that will include a discussion of something that I think we'll look back on when we think of the year 2017, and we will think about the Me Too movement and this reckoning across the country with uh, sexual assault and sexual harassment in the workplace, certainly in Hollywood and Silicon Valley and state capitals, but right here in the U.S. Capitol as well. And I couldn't have a better guest to join me for this conversation than one of my favorite colleagues, uh, my neighbor to the south in the Bay Area, uh, Jackie Spear. She is in her, Jackie, you are now in your, what, fifth term? Fifth term. Okay, fifth term, represents South San Francisco and San Mateo. Parts uh, of San Francisco. Parts of San Francisco. And uh, Jackie is an amazing person because not only does she go way back to some amazing parts of U.S. history when she was a congressional staffer in the 1970s, and she lived through some events that, that I'd like to talk briefly about here, Uh, but she also went on to be a state legislator with an amazingly productive record in Sacramento, and now here in Washington has become the leader uh, in the House of Representatives on some really important issues, uh, including uh, sexual assault in the military, uh, university campuses, and the one we're talking about right now, uh, how the United States Congress is gonna deal with this issue of sexual assault and sexual harassment. So, Jackie, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, great to be with you. I'm gonna steal the idea.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I wanna
0: be your guest. Okay,
1: yeah. Thanks for being
0: such a great colleague. And let's talk about this Me Too movement and your legislation, uh, because I wanna know, what are we gonna do as members of Congress to step up and lead on this?
1: So it's really interesting, Jared, there has been such a sea change in these hallowed halls that if you had told me this would have happened three months ago, I'd say, not a chance. In 2014, I introduced a bill to require mandatory sexual harassment training prevention, and it was not even given a vote in the Rules Committee, let alone a vote on the House floor. A couple weeks ago, we passed by voice vote a requirement, mandatory training for members, staff, fellows, and interns. On sexual harassment prevention. Now, that was only part of the story. The other part of the story is the fact that we have this just archaic system that guarantees that the harasser is gonna be protected and the victim is on their own. It's called the Office of Compliance, and right now, if you wanna file a complaint, if you could find the Office of Compliance, right, that right. is, you have to go through uh, one month of counseling on legal aspects You can shorten that to maybe 15 days. But then you have to go for a month of mediation, mandatory. And you have to sign a confidentiality agreement at the front end. And then at the end of mediation, if you come to a settlement, you have to sign a mandatory non-disclosure agreement.
0: So you have to agree in advance to confidentiality before you can even have your claim considered?
1: And then after the... Settlement. There's a 30-day cooling-off period, so you have got 90 days in which you're still in that office, um, dealing with the you know trauma associated with sexual harassment, or you've quit and you filed an action, and it's it was just set up so that the accused is represented by house counsel, so by the taxpayers. The victim is on their own, and as we have found out, there's this special fund in the treasury where all the settlements were... The uh, secret settlements. The secret settlements, because none of them were made public. And then, of course, um, taxpayer funds there, and then to the extent that members have used their, what's called Members Reimbursement Allowance, the MRA, which they have been using for this purpose as well, it's more taxpayer-funded. So we are in the throes right now of what is an incredibly positive, bipartisan effort in the House Administration Committee, And I literally just... uh, It's the fear of God, right? I mean, Well, it's the fear of God. It's also, we've got some... Bradley Byrne from Alabama Mm -hmm. is an employment law attorney, and he gets it. That's helpful. And as a Republican, they look to him for his expertise. So we just finished a meeting. We will have a bill, in all likelihood, in the House Administration Committee in January that is going to clean up the system. We're going to provide the the, uh, victim with a... Council, so that they are on equal footing with the member or the right. the chief of staff or whomever is doing the uh, harassing, and then there's going to be a whole process that they are going to be able to have more control over.
0: How if about they, taxpayer dollars for some? No taxpayer,
1: no taxpayer yeah. dollars to sell these um, complaints. If it's by the member, Right. if it's by the staff, then they're that's more complicated.
0: Be. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. And full disclosure, I'm co-sponsoring your bills uh, on all of this stuff. Yes. So I'm, I'm really,
1: uh, I'm your, right there with you. And I, I appreciate you your
0: leadership. So why do you think this Me Too movement is different? And, you know, we've had a few of these uh, episodes in the past. I mean, they kind of come and go. That's right? right.
1: I remember in 1992 watching Anita Hill sitting in front of a, an all-male judiciary committee being asked questions like she had done something yeah, wrong, yeah. when Clarence Thomas was being Joe
0: Biden is only now really yeah. atoning <laughs> I mean, for, yes. for some of that. Yeah. <laughs> He's
1: done many mea culpas on that regard. In that regard, and I remember throwing my slipper at the TV. I was so mad, and I think anyone who was you know over the age of twenty watching that mm-hmm. was outraged by it. But as you point out, it kind of subsided. Fast forward. I think there's a combination of things that happened that have triggered this. I think then candidate Donald Trump's access Hollywood video just outraged women and men. I mean it was disgusting to have him talk in terms of women as playthings and mm-hmm. that he could do anything to them and when you're a celebrity. I mean yeah. it was it was just. Gross. But all the people
0: on their side that were horrified by it uh, got over it in a few weeks and turned around and endorsed him. And here he is. He's president of the United States. And he
1: became president of the United States. But a couple things have happened since. On January 21st, the largest demonstration in the history of this country took place across this country. Women and men marching. That was a big deal. We now have 360... Women candidates running for yeah. Congress across the country. We have uh, four times as many women donors as we did in the last election. So and you
0: trace a lot of that to the Access Hollywood and that and, related- and
1: Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, I think that having that audio of a sexual predator doing what he was doing, talking like he was talking, and then the the, the numbers of women celebrities, actresses, stars that came forward, just so galvanized, a sense that this cannot be. So, time, person of the year, yeah, the silence breakers. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been, and it's happened in a very short period of time.
0: But you, for all those reasons, you think this really is different, and you think this is gonna keep going. I guess I, that's oh, the question.
1: Without, without a doubt. I, the culture change here is happening, it's going to take some time because you know there's something that happens to some people when they come here they get inoculated with this sense of power and mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm everything to everyone and you know um, I always call this Hollywood for ugly people <laughs> 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 because, you know people laugh at your terrible yeah. jokes and you've got a yeah. staff that's there to right. and some people kind of lose a sense of yeah. what's appropriate conduct and respect and so some of that is going to take a little time, but I do believe that there's a sea change here. And, you know, heads roll, and they roll yeah. quickly. And there's nothing Well, like more that.
0: heads are going to roll, right? I mean, yes. I want to ask you about that, because we keep hearing that there may be 20 members of, uh, of Congress that have had secret settlements or claims. Or Can we just get that out there? Because I think the public wants to know what's stopping us from just getting this information out.
1: So, uh, here's the problem. The Office of Compliance um, is subject to this Congressional Accountability Act that was passed in 1995. So they're playing by those rules. Now, we're amending that whole act moving forward. Um, The ability to retroactively make those public, Mm -hmm. a little tough. Now, the extent to which people are going to research them, which many of these can be researched, all of a sudden you see in a member's a uh, representational allowance, a huge payment being made out. Okay. It's worth asking the question. So uh, the secret settlements, for the most part, I think have been made public now um, to the extent that we can identify these people. I'm not absolutely certain about that. I could be wrong on that. But moving forward, it's going to be a very different world.
0: Well, you're doing great work to, to bring some change here in Congress. What parallels do you, because you've also worked on the military, which is a a whole other challenging institution, and the whole chain of command, and um, your work has made a difference, but I think we still have some problems there, too. Uh, Talk about that piece of it.
1: So that's what's been so frustrating. I've been working on that probably for seven years now, military sexual assault. We've got 20,000 men and women that get sexually assaulted every year by climate surveys that we've taken, And of those, only about 5,000 report. Of those, only about 500 are court-martialed. And of those, only 250 are convicted. Now, this Uniform Code of Military Justice um, creates this closed system. So there were cases, until we acted on it, that basically provided, even if you were convicted by a jury of your peers, the convening authority could overturn the conviction. And that actually happened in a case in Ariana, um, Arellano, uh Italy. And um, it was so shocking to me that you know, we exposed it for what it was, and then we were able to amend the Uniform Code of Military Justice. But we've been trying to take these cases out of the chain of command, because oftentimes, it's the chain of command that's responsible for the conduct, or they're best friends with the person who is um, the perpetrator, or they see it as you know creating a black mark on their record, so they're not going to be promoted. Mm-hmm. So there's all these disincentives,
0: Some disqualifying. It, it should to, be to deal hope, with to objectively it. render.
1: So, um, so we still have work to do there.
0: Okay, well that's that's fantastic. I want to ask you about um, a piece of history that um, younger Americans. You know, don't remember, but I do. Uh, I think I was uh, in early high school or maybe middle school uh, when this horrible saga of the, the People's uh, Temple and Jim Jones and Jonestown and Guyana uh, became national news, and you were uh, such an important part of it. Um, people may not realize, because you've done so many other things that you're famous for, that you went with Congressman Leo Ryan, your boss at that time, down to um, Guyana, to help rescue members of this cult that wanted to defect and come back home to the Bay Area. And in the course of that, um, you were shot five times and left for dead on the runway. Your boss was killed. I believe four other people were killed. Uh, And then there was this massive cult murder-suicide scenario that gripped the whole world. Um, that's That's gotta impact you, that's gotta change you. How has that, um, stuck with you? How does it affect the work you continue to do here?
1: Well, I'll say that it, it really frames your life in a way that uh, it wouldn't be had it not happened to me. Everyone kind of focuses on that particular instant in my life, but in truth it was that silver lining on that horrible cloud because I survived. You know, 14 years later I was pregnant with our second child and my mm. husband was killed in an automobile mm. accident and that was yet you know, another blow of, how do, you, how do you deal with this? How do you, you know, move on? But I will say that the Guyana experience uh, made me pretty fearless. Because when you look death in the eye,
0: yeah.
1: you know, there's not much that, that scares you anymore. So um, I think that I've, I've taken on issues that maybe I would not have taken on had I not had that experience. I took on the Prison Guard Union when I was in the state legislature. Yeah, um, not for the faint of heart. No, um, and I got, I got um, paid back for doing that <laughs> on my head, but Is that why you're not Lieutenant Governor? <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> but anyway, um, so I do think that uh, it gave me a perspective that I wouldn't have had had that not happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm so lucky to be alive, even with a boot on right now, because I tore two tendons. You know.
0: Uh, well, those are just normal human frailties. <laughs> uh, it, it is an amazing uh, experience, and it also gives you personal insights into this gun violence issue. I, I see some parallels to the, the the sexual harassment episodes that we've gone through, where there's been a heightened level of sensitivity and then it dies down. I mean, yeah, we. We go through that cycle on gun violence after every mass shooting, and it seems like we're making less progress on gun violence than we are on some of these other issues. But but how does the fact that you were shot five times uh, affect your advocacy for victims and, and for others on this issue?
1: It, well, obviously, it affects me and, and how I relate to the issue. Um, I I was so indignant after we had seen so many of these mass shootings, Um, you know, starting with these 25- and 6-year-olds in Sandy Hook to every mass shooting after that, that all we ever did was do a moment of silence on the floor, so I stopped doing them. Um, I I walked out on them, Um, but then last year what I did is I did my whole wall outside of my office. With the pictures of all those who are victims of mass shootings, because you know you only talk about you know the headliners, right? Right. Where there's 20, 30, 40 people, Um, but it's happening every single day, and oftentimes they're families. So uh, we we you know know the statistics as well as I do. I mean, our country um, has more deaths uh, through gun violence, you know. most industrialized countries added up together, and we are impotent, absolutely impotent, to do anything about it, because of the power of this NRA. And I'm just hopeful that, you know, we're going to break through that at some point.
0: Yeah, well, it seems like the public is with us increasingly uh, because this community of survivors of gun violence is growing. Unfortunately. Um, However, the politics haven't caught up with that yet, and, and I think that could be part of the 2018 reckoning as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it amazes me that in the wake of Las Vegas, our Republican colleagues actually passed legislation to make it easier to have concealed right. carry permits right. without any meaningful standards in any state in America.
1: You know, we live in a, in a pretty progressive area, and uh, you know, people are, are pretty sane, we we believe. I've done like three gun buybacks, yeah. and I can't believe what people have in their homes. I mean, machine guns, sawed-off shotguns, AK-47s, um, the uh, enlarged magazines. The I mean, and thank God they wanted to bring them in and get rid of them. Yeah. One of my funniest um, experiences: one guy is sitting there in his car with his gun, I said, well thanks for bringing your gun in. Uh, and he says, yeah, you know, we got this for a wedding present. We didn't really have any, this i they came out. Okay, I think I got a blender <laughs> know, right?
0: in China. Wow. All right, I want to ask you about a couple of other things, Jackie. Um, here's a little fun fact that people don't realize. Uh, our fellow member of Congress in the Bay Area, Mike Thompson, was your intern when you were a member of the state assembly,
1: is that right? He was my chief of staff. Okay. He would be very offended by you, Jerry, oh thinking that he was I'm in my real trouble intern. Now. I'm in no, trouble. he had been the um, chief of staff to Lou Papen, and then Lou Papen ran for the state senate and lost, and I got elected to the, the state assembly seat, and asked uh, Mike to be my chief of staff, and then, you know, he has had all his roots in the uh, Napa. Valley area and so that he decided he was going to run for uh, State Senate. And so I supported him and walked precincts and I remember calling then um, Leader Roberti saying, this guy is going to win. You've got to put some money up for him. Because at the time, you know, in the State Senate, they didn't touch seated members regardless of what party they were in. And then Mike showed them and and got elected. So then he was my Superior.
0: Yeah. I mean, now he's your senior and member he's of Congress, in Congress. the guy right. that used to punch the clock for you in right. Sacramento. Right. Um, well, we know what he's like um, as a member of Congress, I mean, he's got a lot of seniority in the Ways and Means Committee, he leads us on this gun violence issue, mm-hmm. he's the chair of the one, you know, he's kind of a big deal around here. What was he like as a staffer in
1: Sacramento? Oh, he was uh, he was a workaholic, much like he is now, yeah. some, some things don't change. Um, very smart and uh, you know, always looking at trying to find ways to kind of build our universe of, of supporters. So he was, uh, you know, he's not any different as a member than he was as a staffer. He's yeah. just all in.
0: So you're on a, a couple of important committees the House Armed Services Committee, where you, you've done some of this work on the military sexual assault uh, and other issues. You're also on a committee that uh, you know, used to be a backwater. Huh. Nobody, nobody even wanted to serve on the House Intelligence Committee, but all of a sudden this year, uh, there's a big spotlight on the House Intelligence Committee, and you're right in it. What's it been like to be on the House Intelligence Committee during this whole Trump-Russia
1: fiasco? Uh, it is a major time suck. It's, I think I was there for 12 hours yesterday, um, I, I've been there again today for a number of hours, and I have to go back and we're, you know, in the the um, interview process of all of these witnesses, and I do think the majority is trying to shut it down. Yeah. So they've been triple booking every day, uh, which is mind blowing and and uh, mind numbing. But it, you know, that it's big, and you know, as you listen to these witnesses, that there's this large jigsaw puzzle and if you can just get all the right pieces to put together. Now I will say that I've been really impressed by special counsel Mueller who uh, is doing just a first-rate job and is not engaging in this you know, parlor game that's being played out uh, right. on the majority side in the, the house where they're trying to just shut them down and, yeah. and cast aspersions. So I think it's really going to be important for us to stand up and protect the uh, integrity of that special counsel function, and him in particular, because he's really playing by all the rules. Yeah.
0: Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, do you have a sense of uh, where this is going in terms of the, the congressional investigations, which, no, no offense, but I don't have a huge amount of faith that no. these investigations are going to... Your, the full your lack
1: of faith is, is well placed. <laughs> <I think. laughs> not for any lack of effort on your part. But, uh. Uh, I, I do think we'll probably have a majority report and a minority report. Yeah. The majority is already writing the report. And that will be regrettable. I'm not quite sure what the Senate Intelligence Committee is going to do. But there's so much evidence that... What Russia did was as much an act of war as any war we've been in, and yet we aren't looking at it like that. And I think for because all it's of,
0: embarrassing to the guy in the White House, that's right, right. and maybe even and more you know, than embarrassing. Even though
1: we have added more sanctions, they haven't even been imposed yet. I mean, he's violating the constitution by not following through, and that, but separate and distinct from that, I think it's really important for all our constituents to recognize that we have such vulnerabilities in our election system and in the machines that if we don't address that, they're, they haven't left. Russia has not left, and they will come back and do their mischief any way they can. And they did that entire campaign where they did social media. Yeah. They, they were on so many platforms, right? They hacked into the DNC. They hacked into all these nonprofits. They
0: dominated social media. They
1: dominated social media. They, they were on all these various platforms, and they did it for $500,000.
0: Pretty efficient.
1: Bringing the United States of yeah. America to its knees.
0: Yeah. Uh, pretty pretty remarkable. And um, before we leave the subject of Donald Trump, uh, I need to ask you about the uh, the disconnect. When you look at all the accountability that we're starting to see. This is back to the Me Too stuff, Mm -hmm. the sexual harassment and Mm -hmm. sexual assault. Uh, We're seeing enormous change and and transformation in business and the entertainment industry, hopefully here in the Capitol. Something's missing here. We've got a president who hasn't yet answered to that standard.
1: That's right. So 19 women have come forward, and he calls them liars. And I think all that's part of this outrage that we're, we're seeing by um, women in particular. How, how dare you? How dare you think you can pull that off? And I hope that we get to a point in our cultural revolution here where the presumption is going to be that we believe her, as opposed to the reverse. We know in sexual assault cases that you know, 92% of the time, they're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And while I don't have numbers specifically for sexual harassment. It's not all that much different. Yeah. And he—he's um, the the predator in chief.
0: In Do you think or. we'll get to the bottom of his?
1: Um, well, I think actions. The, the Democratic Women's Working Group intends to hold hearings. Okay. Uh, we've sent a letter to the chair of the Government Oversight and Reform Committee, Trey Gowdy, saying you should hold hearings. But he has now bucked it over to Department of Justice because these are criminal. Accusations, so he's dodged that. Uh, but I think these women have a right to be heard, and we need to create a, an arena in which they can.
0: Well, thanks for that, and thanks for coming on my podcast. Thank is you. there any last thought you have for the the uh, people who sign up and faithfully listen to my podcast
1: uh, every few weeks? Well, you have got an incredible member of Congress. I you know. I, I, I mean, I really he didn't. is the environmental guru of. <laughs> the House Democrats, and I go to him if I've ever got a question on any environmental issue. So he's a rock star here in our um, interest in wanting to make sure that environmental protection is just not thrown out the window as we have witnessed. And
0: we work together on that, on sanctuaries and protecting our salmon fisheries and a lot more. So thank you. My pleasure. All right, Jackie. Jackie Spear. Off the Cuff is produced by Marin Zone Tales Untold Media. Our music is also local, provided by Temp Love. Don't miss out on future episodes of Off the Cuff. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Just search for Off the Cuff with Jared Huffman.